Thank you for supporting the ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls globally. Praise God. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And I just want us to look at a portion of scripture that is found in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 2. First of all, in fact, let's begin reading, beginning of verse 1 of, of chapter. It's real good stuff, so let's read it all. Chapter 2 of Hebrews. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message, message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment. Now this is the portion that I want you to, that I want to emphasize. How shall we escape if we ignore or neglect such a great salvation? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come before you tonight in the precious name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray right now that let this day be a meaningful day within our lives and this weekend be a meaningful weekend within our lives. When we think about the cross, when we think about this great sacrifice that was sacrificed on the cross, we just pray that you give us a, a heart full of gratitude, uh, appreciation within our hearts and praise and to be able to lift you up and lift the name of Jesus and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Hebrew writer, when he's writing about salvation and about the experience that people that come to Christ are able to experience, and when he, he writes about salvation, he brings out that it's not only salvation that we have experienced, but every person that has come to Christ has experienced a great salvation. Over and over within the Word of God in the New Testament, it is emphasized the greatness of salvation, the greatness of, of the price that Jesus paid for us upon the cross of Calvary. This is a very special weekend for Christians. This is a special day for us on Good Friday, especially for those of us that have had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Now I know that there are a lot of religious people that they just follow religion and they go to church on a day like this and they go through the motions, but it doesn't have any meaning whatsoever within their lives. It doesn't have that profound meaning that it should have within the life of every person. But those of us that are here this evening that have experienced salvation, this day is a very meaningful day, and this day is a very special day for all of us. And the reason why is that if it wasn't for this day, you and I would not be here today. If it wasn't for this day, we wouldn't have the freedom and the peace and the joy that we experience today. It was someone that paid a great price and 
It was a great salvation that we were able to receive and that was given to us. So this evening, what I want to do is I want us to go to the cross and I want to take the seven words that Jesus spoke on the cross of Calvary. If you follow the story of Jesus, the crucifixion, you will find that he didn't say much. When he was, as soon as he was apprehended, he didn't say much. But there were some words that he spoke, and he spoke seven words when he was upon the cross of Calvary. And every one of these seven words have meaning. And I want us to take a look at these seven words, and we'll emphasize on some of them, and others will just move quickly. But I want us to take a look at them and the seven words that Jesus spoke upon the cross of Calvary. Now, the first word that Jesus uttered on the cross of Calvary was a prayer. He said, Father, forgive them. And this is found in Luke chapter 23 and verse 32, 33. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the very first words of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary was a prayer. Now, it's not... It is something natural for Jesus to utter a prayer upon, upon the cross because throughout the entire life of Jesus, he had a life of prayer. From the very beginning when he began his ministry, you see him praying constantly. Uh, he was praying when he was tempted by the devil. And then again, you see him uh, praying on the Mount of Olives. You see him praying again in the Garden of Gethsemane. And over and over in the life of Jesus, you see him always communicating and in communication with God the Father. His prayer life was a very, very active prayer life. Many times you would see that he would even separate himself. And even when the crowds were following him because of the miracles that were taking place, Jesus always took time to separate himself and have a season and a time of prayer. Sometimes it was a time of prayer and fasting. But he would separate himself and pray. And this is a good example for all of us. Because we could get so busy. And if there was someone that had demands upon him, it was Jesus. There were many demands upon Jesus. As soon as he began his ministry, and as soon as he began to manifest signs and wonders... And he began his ministry of miracles. There were people that were following him. And, and there's so much to do in ministry. How many could say amen to that? When you get involved in the things of God, there's a lot of things, a lot of doors that open. There's so many needs and so many demands upon our lives. But we need to remember that Jesus always separated himself and had a time of uh, separating himself in a, a season of fellowshipping with the Father and praying and seeking, seeking God. So here we find him that even with all these demands throughout his ministry, he prayed. And then at, at the very end of his life, it is not unnatural for him to, the first word that he uttered upon the cross of Calvary was once again a prayer. Now, there are, are many people that begin to pray when 
things begin to collapse around us. There are, there are some of us that we haven't developed the habit of praying and seeking God, but we only pray when crisis comes. There's some like that. Think about it. There's some of you that are here that you would say amen to that. That when things are going good, you neglect your prayer life. Seems like you could make it on your own. But then when things begin to fall apart around you, that's because of desperation and because of crisis and because of uh, emergencies, then it drives you to your knees and you begin to pray. But here we find that Jesus, if, if, when he was on the cross, if it would have been me or you on the cross of Calvary, we would have really been praying, but we would have been praying for our needs. How many could say amen to that? I mean, when you're, you're hurting real bad, and when you're going through a, a heavy, heavy, heavy crisis, and I can't think of heavier crisis than what Jesus was going through on the cross of Calvary. He was hanging there on the cross. I mean, that's a, a time when you begin to really cry out to God and begin to say, God, please help me. But here he prayed. But I want you to notice that he did not pray for himself. Even on the cross of Calvary, he did not pray for himself. He could have prayed for his deliverance, but he did not pray for his, his deliverance. He did not even pray for his loved ones. Could have prayed for his mother. He could have prayed for his family. He could have prayed for those that were close to him. And in fact, it wasn't on the cross that he prayed for any of his disciples. He already had prayed for his disciples. When he knew that he was going to the cross, he knew what, that the cross was before him. Even before that, he had already prayed for them. He not only prayed for them, but if you look at, I think it's John 17, he prayed for all of us. He prayed for all of us. When he was looking ahead and looking towards Calvary, he prayed for all of us. But on the cross, he didn't pray for himself. It wasn't a, a selfish prayer for self. And it wasn't even a prayer for his loved ones and even for his friends, but he prayed for his enemies. He prayed for those that were nailing him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, uh, I want you to notice that, uh, that in, his, in his prayer, he, he not only prays for them, but he also brings out that they didn't really know what they were doing. They really didn't know what they were doing. And uh, when you think about it, those people that were crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't really understand or really could not comprehend the awfulness of their sin as they were crucifying him upon the cross. The magnitude of their sin. When Jesus said to the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, it was like he was saying, forgive them, for they have committed a sin that is black beyond their realization. They were committing the greatest sin that man could commit in nailing Jesus to the cross of Calvary. But do you know that that very sin 
Every time we reject the Lord, we crucify him afresh. Do you know that? You say, is it possible for people to sin like that? There are people that sin like that every day. See, this is a, it's a, a great salvation. How could we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglecting it, rejecting it, is like nailing Jesus once again afresh on the cross of Calvary. So he says, forgive them. In other words, forgive my enemies. Forgive them, for they really don't know what they're doing. And, and when he says forgive them, he, he's not saying that, just, just take sin lightly, Father. He's not saying that. He's not saying, well, just uh, overlook their sinning. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, uh, Father, really forgive them. I hope you forgive them because of the magnitude of their sin, because they don't comprehend, because they don't really realize the magnitude of how horrible, the horrible sin that they're committing. And this is the way it is with many of us when we're away from the Lord, is that we don't realize how uh, the, the sin and how, and how black it is and, and how much we're offending God because of the type of life that we're living. So, his first prayer was a prayer of forgiveness. Are you able to do that? He, he practiced what he preached, didn't he? What he's, right? He says, if, if somebody uh, slaps you on one cheek, what do he say? Turn the other cheek. And that's precisely what he was doing. He was getting crucified, and the very people, his enemies that were crucifying, he says, I forgive you, and, and Father, you forgive them. Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And then the second word that he uttered upon the cross of Calvary was, Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that's in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Now, I want you to take notice that the first word that Jesus uttered on the cross was a prayer for his enemies. That's the first one. And then the second word that he prayed or that he uttered on the cross was actually an answer to prayer. Now, he first prays for his enemies and then he begins to answer a prayer to a single individual. Someone that cried out to him upon the cross of Calvary. We, we know the story of how it happened. There were two criminals that hung there with Jesus. And one of them on one side, the criminal that hung on the cross, he was a revolutionary. And then he prayed. He prayed. He turned to Jesus. He prayed. And his prayer, it wasn't a type of prayer because he was frightened. I, I want you to take notice of that. He could, have, he could have said, like everybody else was saying, the, the, other, the other thief was saying, if you're really God, you know, it was a selfish prayer. You could tell that he didn't really have a revelation of Jesus, this other thief. The other thief was saying, if you're really God, then why don't you just take yourself down from the cross and save us all? This thief or this revolutionary that prayed to him and, and Jesus answered his prayer, he wasn't praying a prayer because he was frightened and because he was afraid. 
He wasn't also praying because he was seeking a way out of his trouble. See, again, it wasn't a selfish prayer. It was a prayer, the prayer that he prayed. It wasn't a selfish prayer, and he didn't even say, I want you to deliver me. I, I want you to uh, kill my enemies and, and take yourself down and take me down from this cross. Immediately save me now. He didn't even say to save him. I mean, he didn't even feel that he was worthy for salvation and worthy to be saved and worthy to be delivered. That the prayer of this thief was just, will you please, please, if you can, please remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I'll tell you this, for someone to pray like that, you know what he had? He had a revelation. I think every one of us, before you could really have an experience with Christ, you need a revelation. This is why you see a lot of people that have a desire to change. This is why you can't come to Christ unless the Spirit draws you to Christ. You see a lot of people walking up and and making a confession of their faith, but they walk out the same. Just like in the play that you had the other day. Uh, our responsibility is to give the gospel. Just give the gospel. And this is a good church that gives the gospel all the time. But we can't save anybody. And not everybody that, that comes up for salvation and goes through the, the prayer of the sinner's prayer has a genuine salvation. People come up, they go through the motions, and then they walk out, and they go out and they live the same life over again, and there's no transformation, there's no change within their life. And then you see some come up, and some of them, they, they say the very same prayer that that other person said, and, and, and there's a difference. This person has had a revolutionary experience, and their lives have been saved and delivered and revolutionized. Now, what is the difference? I'll tell you what the difference, they, they heard the same message, or they seen the same play, or they were able to witness the same presentation of the gospel, but the different, difference was that the person that got saved received a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the only one that could do that, it is the Holy Spirit. It is God. This is why... We need to pray. A church needs to pray. If, if you want to see revival takes place, we need to pray. Because as we begin to pray, then the messages that we preach and the presentation that we present goes forth in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the eyes of the people are open. And they receive a revelation of Jesus Christ. And when they receive this revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what brings about the change within their lives. That makes a difference in your life tonight. If you haven't accepted the Lord, it very well could be that you haven't received that revelation that we have received. You know about Christ. You say, I believe in Christ. And the Bible tells us that even the devil believes and he also trembles. So just believing in him and having a mental belief in Jesus Christ doesn't really bring about the miracle in your life. You need a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how 
this gentleman received it, but he must have been watching Jesus on the cross. He must have been really watching him. Maybe, maybe before, he maybe even heard about him. Or maybe he heard about the great miracles that Jesus performed. But I'm sure that while they were on the cross of Calvary, he was checking them out. And he also heard Jesus pray that prayer, forgive them for they don't, don't really know what they're doing. He heard him praying also for his enemies. And this was something contrary to a revolutionary, to a revolutionist. All he had before was hate in his heart, unforgiveness. But here is someone that is totally different. Somebody that totally has blown his mind that is able to pray for his enemies. Something happened to that man upon the cross that was hanging there on the side of Jesus on the cross that all of a sudden he had a revelation. Not only, first of all, he had a revelation of Jesus as the king. Remember how they were mocking him? Jesus, the king of the Jews, mocking him. They even put a, a, a crown of thorns on his head, mocking him. He's the king and, and mocking him about being the king. Well, this thief on the cross, he had a revelation of Jesus as a true king that was going to enter into his kingdom. And then, not only did he have a revelation of him as king, but he also had a, a revelation of him as a savior. As a savior. Not only king, and it's true, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there is power in the name of Jesus. But I want you to know tonight that Jesus is also a Savior. And if he wasn't a Savior, we wouldn't be here tonight. A revelation of Jesus as King. Because he says, remember me. Would you remember me? When you go into your kingdom, you're a king, and you're the king of kings, and, and the Lord of lords, and, and I don't know how I know it, but I, I know it, that you are really the king that should come, the king of kings and Lord of lords, and when you go into your kingdom, would you please remember me? So he was king, and not only king, but also he remembered him as savior. He said, Savior. And, and what did Jesus respond when he cried out to him? Huh? He, he responded. And what, what did Jesus respond? Huh? What did he respond? Verily, what did he say? Verily, I say unto you next year. When I get the victory, <laughs> verily I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And you know what I like about this thief? He didn't say, if you go into your kingdom. I mean, he had faith. It was, it was a, a, a prayer of faith when, when he prayed for him. Remember me. Remember me. 
when you come into your kingdom. And, and he, he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And there was an assurance that he was given that he was going to take him to paradise. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus is in my father's house of many mansions. And then also the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Jesus with all the authority of, of king and savior was able to say today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then the third word that we have this is a real touching one. And, and I think something that we could relate with, especially women could relate with this one. And, and notice what it says in, in John 19, 25 to 27. <clears throat> he says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing whom he loved. Now, the disciple standing whom he loved, would you tell me who that is? That's John the Beloved. He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold thy mother. Now, why is it that Jesus entrusted his, uh, his mother to his disciple, disciple John? You know why it happened like that? Because he experienced what many of us go through in our Christianity that his home was not saved. You see, his, his, his brothers weren't really following him. They were not followers of Jesus. They were unbelievers. And the only one that was a follower of Jesus within his family was his mother. And all his brothers were not followers of Jesus. So here he is dying upon the cross of Calvary and he was committing her not to his very own family but to the family of God. He committed her to John the Beloved, to one of his disciples. Why? Because they had something in common. They had something in common. And later on, I want to point out to you, what is he says? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in the Bible. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and what? And thine household, right? And you will find that after Easter, and when they went on the day of Pentecost, do you know that all of them were already followers? In other words, you find that after the resurrection of Jesus, they were unbelievers before the resurrection. His brothers were unbelievers before the resurrection. When he was on the cross of Calvary, they were unbelievers. They were not followers of Christ. But something happened to them after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and after his appearances for a number of appearances that he made. Something happened to them that then they began to follow Jesus. And the next time you see his mother, you not only see her with her adopted son, but you see her with her entire family. God is always faithful to his promises. This is why we have to stand firm. I could imagine the, the heartache of the mother of Jesus when his son is dying upon the cross of Calvary. Where's the, the entire family? Even his family is not there. His brothers are not there. 
and, and even, even the Christians were not really altogether there. Because you remember Peter, all the different changes Peter went through, and all the different changes all the disciples went through. Their faith was shaken. But there was someone there that really loved him. And that someone was John the Beloved. Remember John the Beloved? John the Beloved, you don't, you, don't, you, know, you don't hear much about him. But what you hear about John the Beloved is that he was very, he was always at the bosom of Jesus. His relationship with Jesus was one of a, a close relationship and a relationship, a, a, an intimate relationship of love. That when he was going to commit his, his mother and entrust his mother to any of his disciples, I'm sure he wasn't going to trust it to Peter. <laughs> Not at that moment. Forget you, Peter. Peter was backslidden. Backslidden Peter. He sure ain't going to entrust it to Peter. So who is he going to entrust it to? He's going to trust it to his beloved disciple, John. He entrusted her to John. John, you take care of her, John. And there's going to be some battles. There's going to be some spiritual battles. And my brothers cannot yet fight those spiritual battles. My brothers are not equipped for spiritual warfare. But you are equipped for spiritual warfare. So you take care of mom. And mom, you need a mom. Mom is going to take care of you. So she adopted him to be her son. But then later on, man, they all got saved. And, and I'm getting so blessed that I've been hearing testimonies of people in our church who their families are getting saved. Just today, I heard a testimony, Brother Andy, I'm so blessed. You know, you'd be surprised, even when they rebel, and even when they reject the gospel, and they want to, don't want to come to church, that's what you need to still be a testimony. Do you know that your actions speak louder than words? Your testimony means so much, because they're watching. Even if they mock you, even if they criticize you, even if they criticize the church, they're still watching because you're the only hope they have. You're the only one that is able to present Jesus. You're the only one that is, is able to demonstrate the love of Jesus within their lives. And it's so beautiful to be able to see Andy's son. And Andy, he's so blessed. He says, what are you, is that your whole family over there now? Uh, and Andy's, Andy's wife? Junior, okay, praise God. Getting saved. And then Gloria. Gloria came up to me. Does she still, she's still with it? Still got it? <laughs> she's still in the way? Amen. Because they go through struggles sometimes when they get saved. That chamuco comes and starts whipping on them, you know? That's where you got to hang on, you know? Got to hang on. I'm keep, got to keep on believing for her. And, and she come up to me. Sister Gloria says to me, man, in the midst of trouble, and when the church is going to be attacked by the devil, my daughter gets safe. <laughs> daughter gets safe. See, so we have to hang in there for our family. And there are some of you that may be going through it, and you may be going through a bad experience. Some of you mamas, you may be going through a bad experience, and you're praying for your children, and it seems like your children have drifted away. Believe me, if you stay faithful to God and be that testimony that God wants you to be, they're going to come back. 
remember Cindy LaCruz. She's seen them one by one. There's still one that needs to come back. There's still one more, right? I seen Ed Morales. Ed Morales, man, I mean, they went haywire too, some of his kids. <laughs> he has one that looks just like him. And, 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 and my kids went haywire. We all, we, some of us go to some, some of us are fortunate that the kids just keep, they serve the Lord from the beginning and they, they keep on serving the Lord, but sometimes very rare. To see that some of us go through different trials and we get embarrassed and what's going on and and, and our home seems like it's falling apart. But that's when we need to keep and, and put our trust in Jesus. Listen, if it happened to the family of Jesus, think it not strange if it happens to you. But what happened with Jesus after the resurrection? Everybody got in line, right? Something happened. There was a transformation that took place within their lives. So hang in there. Keep on pressing in with your faith that in due time, God will bring them home. Amen? Amen. So we find that all of a sudden, the mother of Jesus adopted a son, and then John adopted a mama. And then the fourth word was a real touching one, and it's in Matthew 27, 46. Now, you follow me, because this has, I'm going through it quickly because I can't labor on him that much, but it has a lot of meaning. It says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, as you get these words, then later on, I want you to read them, you know, read them later on and spend time and dwell on them a little bit. And you see what Jesus was going through. But that was the fourth word from the cross here you find the tragedy of, of the cruci crucifixion actually reaches its climax. This is when it's the climax of the crucifixion within his life. When he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now there's a number of times that you see the emotions of Jesus and you see him crying out. There was one time that he cried out in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? He really cried out. If you go anywhere in Israel, when you go to Israel, anytime you, and we, by the way, we're taking a tour to Israel real soon. There's a number of people that are going. But one of the most touching places in Israel, that every time I go to that place, and I see, I watch the people too, and every time they go to that place, they get broken. And it's not so much the upper room. The upper room is a time of, uh, when you get into the upper room, it's a time of speaking in tongues and praying and getting excited. That's what we do. When we get into the upper room in, in Jerusalem, we start speaking in tongues. We don't care who's there. And people start filing out right away. They leave us alone. <laughs> That's what happened the last time. The last time we got into the upper room and we were there and trying to stay dignified. And I'm saying that Victory Outreach, be dignified. You know, there's all kinds of different denominations and all kinds of people that are looking at the upper room and the history, historical place, and, and reminiscing on the account of, uh, of Pentecost. And our group comes in, and then I hear one of them going, shalabarabandalabarabara. <laughs> then another one, shalabarabandalabarabara. Another one, shalabarabarabara. And before you know, shalabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabarabar
And then we got into a circle, and we started a circle of everybody speaking in tongues. And when I opened up my eyes, everybody, did, everybody else that wasn't part of Victory Outreach disappeared. <laughs> and left us with the entire place. So well, you know what we did? We had church. We had church. We started singing and praising the Lord and dancing and shouting and speaking in tongues and, and just reminiscing on the, the day of Pentecost when the power fell. So that's a jubilant time, a time where you get excited, a time where you speak in tongues, a time where you just want to praise the Lord. But then when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, it has a different, completely emotional effect upon your life. As soon as you walk in, in the Garden of Gethsemane in, uh, in, 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 in Jerusalem, you find that there is a, like a church that they build, and, and there's, that, there's like a, a rock that they have there that they claim that that's where Jesus prayed and he was in agony. We don't know if it was the same rock, but all we know is, is that when I, we walk into that place, and I watch everybody, when I walk into that place, I mean, I could be tired because of touring, but as soon as I walk into that place, I feel something happening to me. I feel something happening to me on the inside. I began to feel a brokenness come upon me. That's not a time of a jubilant time, a time of shouting, a time of separation. It is a quiet time. That's a time of, uh, of uh, a, a, a desire to really pray. So you see the people coming, and, and real quietly, they just come, and you just mill around, and, and they kneel down. And as they kneel down, you hear people sobbing, and, and people crying. And, and it seems like you want to forget about everything, and you just want to stay there. And the reason why you're so broken is because you begin to think what Jesus went through when he was there on the Garden of Gethsemane. See, he knew what he was going to confront. And that's when he cried out, Father, Father, Father. He cried out, Father, if it be thy will, pass this cup from me. I don't believe that it was just the, the agony of, uh, of just getting crucified and having his, his hands pierced with nails and, 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 and going through the experience or the physical pain that he went through. And it was excruciating physical pain that he went through upon the cross of Calvary. I mean, that was the, the worst kind of, uh, of, of, of punishment in those days was the crucifixion. So it was painful. And he was looking ahead, and he knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew he was headed that way. But it wasn't so much just the physical pain that he was looking ahead and, and, and saying, I'm going to have to go through that. It wasn't that. It, it was that he understood what it was all about. He understood the price that he had to pay to bring about salvation for you and for me. He understood that for him to bring salvation, he had to take upon himself the sins of the world. He who knew no sin had to become sin, a sinless person. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
crying out, Father, if it be thy will, pass this cup from me. In other words, Father, I know what's going to happen. I'm not uh, ignorant to what's going to take place and where I'm headed. And Father, I've been in fellowship with you for such a long time. We've walked together, even from the very beginning, from, from eternity, we've been together. And even now, when I've come into this world and, 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 I, and, I, and I've lived in this world, you've still been with me. You have never left me. You have never forsook me. We've been in fellowship. There's been a oneness between me and you, Father. But now, when I go to the cross of Calvary and I take upon myself the sins of the world, there's going to be a separation because sin always separates us from God. You see, what separates us from God is sin. Sin separates us from God. And he who knew no sin was going to become sinful. So he cried out, Father, it be thy will. Pass this cup from me. What did he say? But not my will be done. If it was my will away, if you see, he was part human, right? In a sense. I mean, he was divine, but at the same time, he had that human body that could feel pain and have hunger and feel thirst, right? So he's saying, Father, if, if it be thy will, you know, I know what I take past this cup from me, but not my will, but I will be done. And then he went to the cross, right? And in the cross, he cried out again. And then he cried out, and it says that he cried out. And, and the cry that he cried out, it was at a certain time. It was between the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And you know what happened between that time? There was darkness that came upon the world. It seemed like there was a point in the crucifixion he went through all these different experiences and all the different words that he spoke. And he's there being crucified. There's a lot of things that are happening during the crucifixion. But then all of a sudden, at a particular time at 6 o'clock, between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock, all of a sudden a darkness comes. And in that darkness, it looked like that's when the Father, that's when all of a sudden he that knew no sin became sin. That's where on the cross of Calvary, he took upon himself the sins of the world. And there he was. Every imaginable sin that you could think of, every sin that is represented here tonight, he took upon himself. And at that very moment, that's when the Father could not see it anymore. And the Father turned away from seeing his Son. And there was a separation that took place. He had to experience the separation, the consequences of sin. He experienced it on the cross of Calvary. And that's in that moment's time when he was going through that in the agony of taking upon himself the sins of the world and every imaginable sin being cast upon him is when he cried, Father, 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 why hast thou forsaken me? You can imagine, I, I, I wonder what the thief thought for a moment. The one that said, remember me. 
my mind wanders, you know. <laughs> I wonder if he had some doubt. <laughs> he must have, uh, hey, whoa. like paradise to me <laughs> and he sees the darkness come and Jesus there hanging between heaven and, and earth and and crying out and, and those cries you can imagine the cry a cry of agony a cry of, of deep agony crying out father father why hast thou forsaken me and at that moment is when he that knew no sin became sin. See, that's why it's a, it's a great salvation. Let me tell you, there was nobody else. That's where divine justice was met. You see, and, and, and God, if God the Father, and God says, the man that sinneth shall surely die. So someone had to pay the, there had to be a, a scapegoat. And that was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that takes upon himself the sins of the world. And that moment is when he had to experience that, that separation between him and the Father for just that moment. As all the demons of hell, I could imagine all the demons of hell and everything coming against him, everything. We cannot even, I cannot even imagine what he went through. But it was horrible what he went through. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll understand it better. Right now, we don't understand it. But we, it's hard for us to really comprehend the great price, the great salvation. What he went through on that cross of Calvary in those three hours, on the sixth hour to the ninth hour. But thank God that after that, then after, after that, he says, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And then later on, you notice what it says, the fifth word was, uh, it says in, in John 19, 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. I thirst. Now, if you notice through, through scripture, you'll always find that a lot of the things that Jesus said, these were things that were prophesied even in the Old Testament. So many of the things that, that were set upon the cross of Calvary, some of the things that we find the words of Jesus and the experiences that he had were already prophesied in the Old Testament, and you find the fulfillment in Jesus. And once again, you see the fulfillment in Jesus where he says, I thirst. And then there was someone there that came and, and, and accommodated him. And then the sixth word... He said in John 19, 30, it, I like this one, thank God for that, and I'm sure the, the thief felt better. <laughs> it is finished! It is finished. I can imagine the darkness, and then all of a sudden the light comes. It is finished! What was the task that Jesus had finished? Well, again, divine justice had been met. And now he could offer salvation to everyone. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He couldn't say that before. 
See, before he could, he could preach about the, the kingdom and, and the Messiah, and he could preach about, about heaven and preach about these things, but he had to go, and, and somebody had to pay the price, but now the price was paid, and he said, it is finished. And then he could also give life in abundance, in abundant living. I have come that I might have life, and that I may have it more abundantly. It is finished. What has been finished? Everything that was needed for your salvation, for my salvation, was all accomplished on the cross. Jesus Christ. See, the atonement was made for every one of us. Shedding of the blood was poured out that without that, there could not be salvation. And, and then later on, we see the, the triumph over the grave, and, and then Easter comes, and the resurrection, right? And then the seventh word, and we finish with this. I like this one. He says, Father, and that's in Luke chapter 23, and verse 46. Father! Oh, I could imagine. It's not, it's not that word anymore of uh, why has thou forsaken. I don't think it has that tone anymore. And I think the... When he said it is finished, didn't have that tone that it had before. Why has thou forsaken me? It was a different tone. It's been, when he said it is finished, it's been completed. My job has been done. I still got to fight the devil a little bit, but as far as the atonement, it's done. Then I'm going to have a battle with the devil, but that's taken care of. Could you imagine also, just let me tell you something that, could you imagine when he was going, let me just drop this on you, and then we're going to bring it to a finish. Okay, you with me? getting excited now. <laughs> could you imagine, could you imagine the scene when he's on the cross? Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And all that darkness. Could you imagine what was, who, who was the, the spectators? Not only the people that were there were spectators and they were saying he had it, man. You know, he had it. And, and, and it, bring, it, bring, it even brings doubt within the minds of everybody. Looks like he's defeated. But could you imagine the spectators that were there? Could you imagine the number of angels that were watching that scene? Could you imagine the heavenly host that was watching that scene? I mean, this was a very important scene. This was something that was never done before in the heavenlies. First time account. And the Son of God, could you imagine all the spectators? Could you imagine that heavenly host? There was a grandstand of the heavenly host all watching that very historical and very important scene. Could you imagine what they went through? Especially when the demons of hell were blaspheming and the demons of hell were ridiculing the demons of hell are slandering him the demons of hell are coming at him and trying to torment him and there he was just taking it all upon the cross of calvary and, and taking everything that the devil was dishing at him just taking it and 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 could you imagine all of those those angels i mean those angels were probably itching just just say the word All Jesus had to do was just speak the word. Speak.
speak the word. If he would have just changed his mind. Imagine if he would have changed his mind. <laughs> anyway, he would have said, enough is enough. And I changed my mind. And angels, get them all. Could you imagine what those angels would do? I mean, those angels would have come in and just taken them off the cross. And there would have been destruction of everybody that was around there. In fact, they probably would have destroyed the whole earth. But all these angels watching, and, and they didn't understand. Even the angels have a hard time understanding these things. These things are like mysteries. Even the angels have a hard time understanding what was actually taking place. And they would probably say, why? Why? Are they really worth it? Are they really worth it? Look at them. They're so ungrateful. Look what they're doing to the Son of God. Just speak the word and we'll take you down from that cross. But oh, the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. See, what Jesus did, he saw us afar off. And he says, I got to go this route, but it won't be a sunny. I got to go this route, it won't be a bobby. I got to go this route, it won't be a Pat. I got to go this route, it won't be a Sonny Junior. It won't be a Charlie, it won't be a Joe. I got to go this route. He even prayed that in, 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 verse, in chapter 17 of, of John. He was praying and saying, yes, there's more that's going to come. And, and I got to go to that cross. And on that cross of Calvary is where I'm going to die. And I'm going to bring salvation to humanity and to mankind. And I'm going I'm to break the bondage of the enemy. And I'm going to break the chains of bondage. So there on the cross of Calvary, he said at the end, and I like this. You see, nobody took his life. Notice what he said. Father, when it was his time. Mm, not before. Not before. Until it was all complete. Not one minute before. Until he accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish. After he said it's complete. It is finished. It is done. Then he says, okay, my job is done now. And he says... Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. And I want to tell you something. No one took his life. It was no one that took his life. He gave it. He gave his life freely for our salvation. Jesus lived a surrendered life. You say, he lived a surrendered life, and, and this is a good example of a surrendered life. He knew what it was to surrender to the Father. That's the life that he lived throughout his entire life. It was a surrendered life to the Father. Not my will, Father, thy will be done. So it's not strange that even in death, and after it was accomplished, once again, he lived a surrendered life, and now he's dying. He died. He's about to die, and he surrenders his spirit to the Father, into thy hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I've just, you know, it's just, uh, just the tip of the iceberg. I haven't said much. If, if we get into it, I mean, there's so much to get into of what took place on that Friday. Good Friday! Good Friday has a lot of meaning. If it wasn't for Good Friday, 
and Jesus upon the cross and going through everything that he went through, I wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be here. And that was just the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, he came as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then after that, what happened when he, when he went out into the spirit world? What happened? That's when the battle took place. And we know the story. He took the keys. He went in there and took the keys. He showed up to Satan himself. Went even down to, to hell itself. And, and he proclaimed himself. And here I am. That one that was prophesied. Here's the fulfillment of the prophecy. And he went in there into the spirit world. And he did what he had to do. And he took command. And oh, he established himself as the king of kings and lord of lords. Now I'm not that lamb anymore, but I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. And I'm taking the authority. And then after he finished with the spirit world, then he says, and now I'm going to resurrect. And then he resurrected from the dead. And not only did he resurrect from the dead, but he said, I'm going to stick around for a while. I'm going to stick around for a while, and I'm going to make sure that there's some eyewitnesses. I got to talk to Peter. <laughs> I got to get a hold of that doubting Thomas. I got to finish the work on these guys that abandoned me. These rankers. These rankers. They're not ready. I want to stay down a little bit. I got to show myself the resurrected Christ. The one that has dominion over death and, and the grave and hell itself. And then at the end, publicly, publicly when he was finished, what did he do? He ascended up again into the right hand of the Father. And he says, what did the, what did the angels say when he was going up? Why stare ye gazing upward into heaven? In other words, don't be surprised. He came from heaven. He's going back home again. This world is not his home. Why stand ye gazing upward into heaven? This same Jesus that you see shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming again. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, everybody stand and, and praise him. He's coming again. He's coming again. Hallelujah. We pray this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more preachings from Pastor Sonny Argonzoni Sr., learn more about our dynamic ministry, or to make a contribution, visit victoryoutreach.org. God bless you.